The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is... Is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump signs the economic stimulus bill. Now, how will the 900 plus billion dollars be disseminated across the country? Meanwhile, President-elect Joe Biden vowing to repair U.S. foreign policy after the Trump vacuum. We've got an exclusive interview in the next hour with Mike Rogers, the former Republican congressman who chaired the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. We've got a lot to get through. We begin tonight with the big story, and that, of course, is President Trump signing into law the 900-plus billion dollars worth of economic stimulus. It comes following his decision a couple of days ago to throw the plans into jeopardy urging lawmakers to get to some $2,000 worth of stimulus checks. Well, we've got sound on the reaction from the divide within the Republican Party. Look no further than Governor Larry Hogan, the Republican from Maryland, on Sunday, uh, saying that he, well, telling Jonathan Carl on ABC News this week that he misled everyone. Take a listen to what he said. Secretary Mnuchin worked together with them and made commitments on behalf of the administration. And then uh, not eight months before or even eight days before, but after it was passed, then the president raises these objections. And while Democrats like Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont were in agreement that they wanted $2,000 stimulus checks, they were not in agreement about how the president went about the strategy. Senator Sanders spoke also on ABC's This Week and had this to say. He said, well, yes, I know there were intense negotiations. You passed a $908 billion bill. It has you know, extending unemployment, it has direct payments, it has this, that, and everything else. But you know what? I have now decided that I'm going to jump into the game, and I want $2,000. Laura Davison is Bloomberg Tax and Congress reporter. Thrilled to have her back on the program. He got into the game, and then President Trump decided to get out. What happened? Well, there was a whole lot of anxiety for a couple days, but basically we ended up uh, Sunday night where we would have been if he would have signed it, you know, right after Congress passed it. Uh, really, the only concessions that Trump got uh, were that the House, uh, you know, agreed to go ahead and, and vote on this uh, $2,000 check payment. They didn't really agree. They wanted to do it. House Democrats said, look, we've been pushing for this for months. Uh, we're, we're happy to take you up on that, Mr. President. Uh, the Senate, uh, Trump said, agreed to uh, vote on both 
increasing the, uh, the payment amounts to $2,000, as well as repealing this liability shield for tech companies and also looking into to voter fraud. Um, it's unclear exactly how the Senate is going to approach that, though it looks like uh, you know the way that vote would be structured, it would almost be certain to fail in the Senate. So uh, the House tonight will vote on these $2,000 payments. It, it may pass. It's still unclear. Uh, but if, it, if they're able to push it forward, uh, that's really kind of probably where this ends, that the, the Senate is not going to pick this up and not going to vote to uh, increase those, those $2,000 checks. Laura Davison's with me, Bloomberg Tax and Congress reporter. I'm going to dive into my Bloomberg terminal right now and pull up a great report from our new colleague, excellent reporter, uh, veteran political journalist Nancy Cook, who has just joined the Bloomberg News team, and we're thrilled to have her on board. She's got this great story headline, Trump got Christmas plea on aid from senator worried by the runoff, according to the lead of Nancy Cook's Bloomberg's Nancy Cook's Reporting, Georgia Republican Senator David Perdue lobbied President Trump last week to sign the pandemic relief bill he'd criticized, concerned that the president's delay would harm his and Senator Kelly Loeffler's prospects in the January 5th runoff elections. This according to people familiar with the matter. In a Christmas Day phone call to President Trump, Senator Perdue argued that the bill was vital for unemployment benefits, coronavirus vaccination distribution, and a moratorium on evictions. Laura, I got to be honest, Georgia on the mind of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And it looks like, according to Nancy Cook's excellent reporting, that President Trump got a call from Senator Perdue himself. Yes, and this this has really put Republicans in Congress in a super awkward position of having to walk that very fine line of supporting Trump, but uh, but also, you know, have, he's doing things that they're not really agreeing with right now. Uh, so, you know, holding up this bill, a whole bunch of stuff in there that people are waiting on, you know, those $600 payments, unemployment insurance, eviction moratorium, you know, money to, to get vaccines rolled out. And, you know, obviously this Senate race is sort of the, the, the game in town, you know, whether what happens with Purdue and Kelly Leffler, uh, that determines sort of the trajectory of Washington for the next couple years. You know, if Mitch McConnell basically gets to keep his job as, as head honcho and, you know, who's controlling the Senate floor, which means they're controlling, you know, Biden's nominees for his cabinet, judicial nominees, and of course, the flow of legislation. So I want to pick apart everything you just said, but let's start with the scenarios. And typically, Laura, I don't do this. I don't like to do hypotheticals. I think it's a waste. People go crazy over it. But there's policy implications here, Laura, that you and I both know so well from all the years we spent chasing after these lawmakers in the halls of Dirksen. And so I, I bring this up because let's say Democrats are able to pick off these two seats in the Senate, which has become a very expensive race. The dynamics of the committee assignments and who has the power of the gavel for the committees, i.e. who's setting the agenda, who's setting the national discourse coming out of the Senate, the upper chamber, it's going to be interesting. The Democrats would have would have chairmanship. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean that's that's what they're they're hoping for. You know, there's there's all sorts of talk. You know, if there's a fifty fifty split, what how that shakes out. You know, Kamala Harris suddenly becomes very uh, very crucial. She's a she's a tie breaking vote. But for there, the so roster, that- but for the roster of committee assignments and and the agenda for the committees, Senate Banking, Senate Energy, all these different committees, Democrats in a tie would get the chairmanship, which is interesting because that, of that is- the VP elect. Yeah, it's really, and it would, you know, Democrats have not controlled the Senate for years. So this would be finally be a chance for them to, you know, again, control those hearings. They get to call in witnesses. They get to be the ones, yep. uh, you know, they get special powers, you know, asking for President Donald Trump's tax returns, for example. There's all sorts of privileges that come along with, with being in, tr- in control. 
it silences the Republican Party, if whatever party, not just in, the, but in this case, the Republican Party, because from a chairmanship perspective of all of the different gavel, who has power of that gavel, they're the ones who are going to decide who to call. I mean, folks, take politics out of it and just go from a policy lens. Look at big tech, for example. Look at the the CEOs of bank companies. All of that's at stake with Georgia, and I don't think you know. I, I want to keep talking about that because if Democrats do win both of those seats, there are definitely significant, significant policy implications there. Uh, you mentioned about this $2,000 stimulus check. I want to come back to it for another second, Laura Davison, because many of these Republicans are now on record, uh, some of them saying that they think that there should be more uh, financial stimulus aid and checks that were made available. You look at polls, it's a, it's a very bipartisan issue. The way to do it is is where there's divide. Uh, Republicans increasingly on on the right are are growing more vocal about their concern of the twenty seven trillion dollar debt, but Laura, pres- President elect Joe Biden's right now saying that there has to be additional additional financial relief in his first one hundred days. He's going to try to make an appeal to Senator Susan Collins and say, "Look, this is a one area where I agree with President Trump that there should be two thousand dollar stimulus checks." So did President Trump inadvertently give President elect Joe Biden cover? You know, he really has made things a lot easier for Joe Biden. And, he, you know, this this stimulus check issue, as you referenced, you know, it's created some very strange bedfellows here. Uh, this yep. is something that centrists want, the Problem Solvers Caucus wants, but also Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley, who has sort of fashioned himself after Trump himself. So you have people from the very, very right to the very, very left to the center. It's sort of the middle right and the middle left where you kind of see a little bit more, you know, either concern about the deficit or concern that government's getting too big or some of those more classic Washington lines. But when it comes to sending out free money, politicians or you know at least free to the recipients politicians are very excited to do that and we're going to check in with a member of the problem solvers caucus coming up in the next hour congressman fred upton uh, who represents a republican who represents michigan's 6th congressional district he's going to join us to talk specifically about that as the house is set to vote on that $2000 stimulus checks trump demand it'll be interesting to see if any republicans get on board with that laura davison happy holidays to you and your family thanks so much for your great reporting and of course for joining us here on bloomberg sound on bloomberg tax and congress reporter Laura Davis, and maybe we'll get Nancy Cook to join us in the week. She just joined Bloomberg. Excellent reporter. We're thrilled to have her. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Much more policy and politics around the corner. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, wishing everyone a very happy and healthy and safe holiday season. I don't know if you got to see the sunrise this morning, but I was just uh, 
in the break room before coming on air. And I got to tell you, it is a beautiful sunset. We've been really blessed to have these incredible views of the the Washington City skyline, you know, sun rising over the Capitol building. Just remarkable. Lots to be grateful for. Lots of lots of be grateful for. Let's get a check on the markets. U.S. equities rallied to records after President Donald Trump backed away from earlier threats and signed a coronavirus aid package. The S&P 500 index, Dow Industrial, there we go, Kev. Come on, buddy. Dow Jones Industrial Average and Nasdaq Composite closed at all-time highs following Trump's surprise approval of the combined $2.3 trillion COVID-19 relief and government funding package. Germany's DAX index also rose to a record. Treasuries dipped and the dollar strengthened. Bitcoin retreated after a rally. Over the holiday, it pushed past $28,000 for the first time. I want to welcome back to the program Ed Mills, Managing Director of Washington Policy at Raymond James. Mr. Mills, thank you for joining us. What happened to the markets today? Well, I think we saw that the market wanted to have this uh, stimulus bill passed. Um, and it was uh, with the sign into law. I think that they're looking at with the additional uh, support for the economy that we hope we will have a bridge between now and a post-vaccine world. And if anything, uh, the conversation is starting about what is the next package. Uh, if it can occur, is there going to be even more economic support for Americans, uh, especially those with the greatest economic need? So I want to ask you about that because it's very smart about playing it forward and the dynamics at stake with President-elect Joe Biden's incoming administration, the Georgia runoff election. We all know we've already covered how important Georgia is. But by President Trump urging for there to be $2,000 stimulus checks, does he make it okay for centrist Republicans to get on board with that? Because President-elect Joe Biden's going to tell Senator Susan Collins come February and March, President Trump wanted this. You know, I wanted too. I do think so. I think that um, each package that has passed through Congress has met the specific need at the time. Early on, it was about getting funding for vaccines. The Cures Act was for the immediate shutdown. I think the big reason why we are getting funding this time is because we have a vaccine that can be distributed, plus the Cures Act funding long ago ran out for many Americans. The next package is about what the economy looks like at that time. Is there the opportunity to look at infrastructure spending, uh, things to rebuild the economy, to go to Joe Biden's uh, political uh, talking points from the election of the Build Back Better? Uh, if you have a forcing mechanism and you look in the bill that just got signed into law, a lot of these provisions only last for about 10, 11 weeks. So we will be in March with some forcing mechanisms. If Joe Biden can put together that coalition, if Republicans will go along or not, it's a long way between now and then. Uh, but certainly the fight, as messy as it was over the last couple of days, lays a foundation uh, for Joe Biden to continue to say that this was only a down payment. And anyone, even a Donald Trump, looking at this uh, says more was needed, especially for the American consumer. And the markets will have much more clarity in terms of the path forward for a fiscal stimulus or a lack thereof on after the January 5th uh, Georgia runoffs and, and just Absolutely. how important they are. I mean, let me let me ask you about this, though, uh, as it relates to something we haven't heard a lot about from the incoming administration, and that's on something that you know better than anybody in Washington, D.C., and that's housing finance policy. How do you think a president-elect Joe Biden's administration is going to take on housing finance? 
Kevin, it's a great question. One of the things that we were always startled by is that when you go through the platform of candidate Joe Biden, the housing policy platform was probably one of the most robust areas uh, that he laid forth. Uh, really does view uh, home ownership opportunities for individuals who've been left out of housing, uh, home equity or the lack of home equity as a real issue related to the wealth gap that exists in this country. So I think that the Biden administration is going to look at housing policy, Kevin, and say this is the way in which we promote a fairness agenda in building um, the building blocks necessary to reduce that wealth gap. And so I don't see how you can do a lot of the policies a Biden administration would like to do with housing and have a recap and release in a privatization of Fannie and Freddie. Um, I think those two are incompatible. I think there's some personnel changes that are likely to occur depending upon a Supreme Court decision related to who oversees Fannie and Freddie, the director of FHFA. So I do think it's going to be a core part of a Biden administration, uh, something that he actually has the opportunity to get things done as long as Fannie and Freddie remain under conservatorship or the United States has a considerable say over it. And it just hasn't gotten the coverage. And I think it's great that you brought it up. Well, when do you think we're going to find out the Supreme Court ruling? Because, I mean, we can dive into the weeds here and about just how important it is. But for people just coming to this topic from a fresh perspective, or maybe they've been focusing on some other issues, just catch us up to speed about where things stand with the Supreme Court and, and who should be in charge of governing housing finance. Yeah, so the rulings are expected uh, about mid-2021 in the June time period, and that's going to give the opportunity um, for the president of the United States to either uh, choose uh, who he wants as uh, director of FHFA, the overseer of Fannie and Freddie, really the head of housing policy in the United States, or whether or not the existing director, Director Calabria, uh, gets to stay and fill out his five-year term. Now, There is a question, even if he has the ability to replace Calabria, uh, does he do it? Uh, Does the Senate um, confirm? And that's why going back to what you highlighted is uh, the Georgia elections really are binary. Um, But ultimately, beyond uh, Fannie and Freddie, uh, there is a lot of housing policy that can be done uh, through housing and urban development, who leads the Federal Housing Administration at FHA. Um, And ultimately, what we see from the Biden platform is using more down payment assistance, limiting the cost of rent, uh, building equity among communities that have traditionally not had access to intergenerational wealth. And just to simplify it, folks, this case that that, uh, Ed Mills, managing director of Washington Policy and Raymond James, is alluding to, essentially it's this. As the AP noted uh, the other month, The structure can leave a new president with a director chosen by the previous president for some or all of the new president's time in office. So President Trump appointed Mark Calabria for FHFA, which oversees Fannie and Freddie. This case is going to say whether or not a new administration gets to appoint someone else or if they have to serve out their term. It's a remarkable, remarkable case and candidly, one that has a lot of impacts for the housing finance industry. I mean, Ed knows this you know, better than anyone. Final word for you, Ed. What are you going to be watching for? What, what's coming up next uh, that's, that's on your radar? Maybe something that's been in the weeds that we haven't had enough time to talk about. we got about a minute left. 
Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of time between now and January 20th. Any last-minute issues, um, especially as it relates to China, I think there's some expectation that any of the last things that uh, Donald Trump does could be quickly overturned by a Biden administration. Uh, But in politics, when you're explaining you're losing, there could be a lot of last-minute issues related to China trade uh, and who U.S. companies can do business with in China that a Trump outgoing Trump administration could really lock in in the last uh, 20 days here. And i got to be honest, one of the stories that I'm absolutely obsessed with is what the Communist Party of China has, uh, or how they've chosen to deal with Jack Ma and the Ant Group. Just remarkable developments from the Communist Party of China uh, overnight. All right, my thanks to Ed Mills, Managing Director of the Washington Policy, uh, Managing Director of Washington Policy at Raymond and James. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. John Cittalidi, Scott Bolden on deck. Plus, we check in with Congressman Fred Upton. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Historically speaking, the markets have performed better when there is divided government. The biggest pressure for fiscal stimulus is an uptick in cases. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. State governments control elections. That's in the Constitution. I think that we can expect a smooth, thoughtful, methodical transition. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump signs into law a $900 billion plus economic stimulus bill. Is more relief on the way? We will ask Congressman Fred Upton, a Republican from Michigan and a member of the all-important Problem Solvers Caucus. Meanwhile, we'll also get a reaction from President-elect Joe Biden's foreign policy speech earlier today from Wilmington, Delaware. The former Republican House Chairman on the Intelligence Committee, Mike Rogers, joins me as well. A lot to get through. Hope you had a great holiday with your family. We begin tonight with the big story, and that, of course, is President Trump signing into law $900 plus billion worth of economic relief and a debate and a reversal with why he changed his mind. Nancy Cook, Bloomberg's Nancy Cook, reporting that Senator David Perdue called President Trump on Christmas Day and asked him to sign into law the $900 plus billion worth of economic stimulus relief. It comes after an open debate in the Republican Party about whether or not the president should do so. And we've got sound on that particular topic from Governor Larry Hogan, the Republican centrist from Maryland, who spoke on ABC's This Week on Sunday. Secretary Mnuchin worked together with them and made commitments on behalf of the administration. And then uh, not eight months before or even eight days before, but after it was passed, then the president raises these objections. Senator Bernie Sanders, the progressive from Vermont, was also perplexed. He said, well, yes, I know there were intense negotiations. You passed a $908 billion bill. It has, you know, extending unemployment. It has direct payments. It has this, that and everything else. But you know what? I have now decided that I'm going to jump into the game and I want $2,000. Scott Bolden is with me. He is a Democratic strategist, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and attorney, and John Sidalides, a geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors and diplomacy consultant to the U.S. State Department. John, I'll start with you. Why did President Trump change his mind? Well, you note very correctly the conversation with uh, Senator Perdue 
And I think President Trump is beginning to look at a presumptive Biden administration and what a Trump legacy looks like after what he considers to be a very successful term as president. And that would be greatly endangered if both seats are won by the Democratic candidates. And it looks like uh, right now, Kevin, that the Republicans and the Democrats in the Georgia Senate race are both running as tickets. So it's unlikely we'll have a split. I mean, it could happen, but there's probably a better chance that we'll have either two Republicans winning or two Democrats winning. And I think Senator Perdue and Senator Loeffler are very much concerned that if it's two Democrats that win, they persuaded President Trump almost his entire uh, legacy will be undone by a Biden administration that controls not only the White House, obviously, but by a Democratic party that controls the House and the Senate. And I think that really puts it enormously damages the president's prospects if he decides to run for president again in 2024. Precisely. And look, I think we've done a, a good job in the media in terms of uh, 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 re-upping the notion that if it is a tie in the Senate along party line, the vice president, in that case, Kamala Harris, would have the deciding vote. Mm -hmm. I want to bring yes. up this other point, which is if it is a tie in the Senate, the Democrats, because they have the White House, will, ha will get control of the gavel. They will be the chairs of all of the Senate committees. So for policy, that's crucial. It's of the utmost importance. That would mean that a Democrat is the chairperson of the Senate Banking Committee, for example. That would mean on issues pertaining to big tech, whether or not to decide to have a hearing with big tech CEOs, which party gets to decide that, that's on the ballot in Georgia. And so all of these other issues beyond just the political water cooler talk that we all tried to avoid over the holidays are really going to be getting more clarity come January 5th on the Georgia runoff. Power of committee control is so important. Dust off your old schoolhouse rock playbook, playlist, folks, because that's how a committee gets out, uh, or how a, a bill gets out of committee to get to the floor of the Senate is through committees. So committee power and gavel, the power of the gavel is so incredibly important. So make sure you're thinking about that uh, as we, well, we will be definitely thinking of that as we cover the Georgia runoff. Scott Bolden, I mean, did President Trump inadvertently provide some political cover to centrist Republicans who maybe now might be more willing to negotiate Scott Bolden with a president-elect Biden when he says more economic relief is needed in his first 100 days in office? Well, we'll have to see, but I don't think he's he's given the uh, moderate Republicans in Georgia any cover. They're going to be the key to either victory or loss for the Republicans. Can they attract them? The rural voters and the Republicans and the Trump supporters, who may not be RNC supporters, uh, are certainly going to back the Republican senators. They, what's up for grabs are those uh, college-educated suburban men and women uh, who are moderate Republicans who uh, just don't have the taste for Trump. And the Republican Senate candidates are running in a line with uh, Trump's support and being 100 percent behind Trump. I don't think his presidency has been a success. I think it's been a failure. And he signed that bill because he was going to sign that bill anyway. He was just stewing over his loss and stewing over what he told Mnuchin to do. He simply uh, was impetulant more than anything. And so that bill was going to be signed. What's important to note about that seven-day delay or five-day delay 
is that many of the programs under CARE 1 legislation has run out. The unemployment checks, the moratorium on uh, foreclosures has run out, and $28 billion worth of uh, coronavirus, uh, not only testing, but vaccines that were in that bill were delayed uh, by those five days plus. And so real damage was done here. Do we have enough time to save those who are suffering the most in this country based on this delay? It's not just Republicans, though, who are debating whether or not $2,000 stimulus checks are a good idea. Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, actually wrote a Bloomberg opinion column a couple of days ago and said that he thought $2,000 stimulus checks are not a good idea. Larry Summers, of course, being having served in the Clinton administration. We've got sound on what he said, because earlier today, my colleague and I, Taylor Riggs, spoke with him on Bloomberg television. Take a listen to Larry Summers defending his position to come out against $2,000 stimulus checks. The question isn't whether there's a need to help people. The question is, what's the best way to uh, help people? And my judgment is that an across-the-board gift to 85% of taxpayers of a kind that no one thinks can be sustained uh, every quarter is a mistake. John Sidalides, I want I want you to come in here because Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, has come out in favor of this as well. I don't really think this is as partisan as an issue as is typically as clear cut. And we've only got about 30 seconds. Yeah, I think uh, Mr. Summers raises a very important point. I mean, if we just take a step back and ask why are couples that are earning $150,000 and and are continuing to receive salaries regardless of whether or not they're going into the office, why do their lives need to be uh, stimulated economically? What we really need to do is to target those people who've been forced out of work by Mm -hmm. a number of these governor's edicts that have locked down the the economies, not for two weeks or four weeks or six weeks to flatten the system have to make sure that we protect the health care system in America. But we're now 10 months into lockdowns. We have forced many poor people into deeper poverty. We've put millions of people into okay. unemployment ranks, about 8 million people. We're we gonna... should have more targeted support right. for those people who okay. political uh, leaders have forced into unemployment and poverty. More next with the panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We are past the darkest day of the year. Do you believe it? When we got a great sunset tonight. And remember, the endurance of darkness 
means that we're closer to the summer. Uh, and we've got a great panel. I hope you had a great holiday with your family. Coming up, I'm going to check in with Congressman Fred Upton, a Republican from Michigan, 6th Congressional, 6th Congressional District, yes, of Michigan. Uh, and he, of course, is a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, really, that the group of bipartisan lawmakers that laid the groundwork and the foundation for the 900-plus fiscal stimulus deal. We're going to get an update on if $2,000 checks are going to be in the foundation for the proposal that President-elect Joe Biden is going to likely put through as well. And an interview with Mike Rogers, the former chairman of the House Intel Committee between 2011 and 2015. He's a Republican, also from Michigan. I guess we're focusing on Michigan today, inadvertently. Uh, Joining me now is... Scott Bolden, Democratic strategist, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and attorney. Scott, I was a bit nervous about today's show, but the Eagles have no chance of making the playoffs this year, so the game this weekend doesn't matter. That's all I'm going to say. They have a shot, except the one problem is they play Green Bay. Well, <laughs> I they have am- to win to get in. <laughs> I'm Well, I think we have, we have you this weekend, Scott. <laughs> So I'm going to let this go and just move on because we are reworking the show and we are growing the show, elevating ourselves into 2021. And as we prepare for that elevation, the theme, right, of the show, uh, we want to rework my favorite part of the show, which is typically what's on your radar, but we are rebranding it. It is the theme song, Christine. Yeah, I I knew that. I wanted to know if you knew that, Christine Barada, our executive (laughs) producer, who just put that in the chat. Uh, But we've reworked what's on your radar to what's next, because here at Bloomberg, we're all about the future. We're all about emerging trends and whatnot. And John Sidalides, what's next? All right. I know we have to be cognizant of time here, but uh, let's talk a little bit about geopolitics. Kevin, we've always got to spice up the conversation with geopolitics. I love it. it. The the Israelis have sent a nuclear-armed submarine towards the Persian Gulf, and they were allowed to pass through the Suez Canal by the Egyptian government, which is an astonishing development in terms of the Middle East diplomacy. And so you have the Egyptians essentially wink-winking the Israelis en route to delivering cruise missiles in case the Iranians are planning to retaliate on or around January 3rd for last year's execution of Qasem Soleimani, who you recall runs Iran's international terror organizations. So we're watching developments in the Middle East very closely. And I would say further down the road politically in the U.S., Kevin, um, I would not be surprised if some of the more left-leaning media in the U.S. start to get impatient with the Biden administration, especially if there are uh, if there's a Republican-controlled Senate. And you start to see more and more articles either about the ethical scandals involving the president-elect's son and brother and also questions about his cognitive abilities in order to build the pressure for a 25th Amendment move and open the pathway to a Kamala Harris presidency by the end of 2021. Okay. Well, first, let's stick with geopolitics, because I want to go back to this. Because earlier today, President-elect Joe Biden gave a speech on uh, on foreign policy in Wilmington, Delaware. And we've got sound on that speech and what he had to say. And I want to get your reaction to this soundbite. Here he is. In our absence from key institutions that matter to the welfare of the American people, in the general disengagement from the world, 
and all of it makes it harder for our government to protect the American people. John Sinalides is the Middle Eastern foreign policy and the shifting geopolitics that you just alluded to. Is that going to stay in a Biden administration? You know, it remains to be seen. Uh, first, let me just uh, offer a different perspective, if I might, Kevin, because there's always this criticism of a quote-unquote isolationist Trump policy because of the America First declaration. But the president never said America alone. America first, as does any leader of any country, of any government, if they're acting responsibly. And in the Middle East, we've developed brand new alliances between a number of Sunni Arab countries and Israel. Uh, president uh, Biden, or President-elect Biden and his administration, if he starts to move the focus far more towards supporting Iran again, as was the case under the Obama administration, we could see an unfurling of this brand new peace process between Arab countries and Israel in ways that could endanger what's been developing in recent years. So I think the energy that a President Biden puts into restoring Iran as the regional hegemon enriching Iran and allowing it to conduct international terrorist operations throughout the Middle East against Europe and against the U.S. could be a bellwether for whether or not this region unravels. Interesting. Scott Bolden, what's next? Yeah, uh, I don't think this administration is going to do that with Iran. And, and Trump's implementation of America First has meant at least internationally America alone. I think that will change. Uh, what's next is after the geo, after the Senate uh, races, the results, regardless uh, what happens in Georgia, uh, it's going to be close on both sides in the House and the Senate. Uh, how does each party keep their party members in line? For example, the Dems, if they get control of the Senate and the House, uh, if it's 50-50, can they keep the moderate? or conservative Democratic senators in line on close votes. That remains to be seen. The GOP was effective in the last four years in doing that on the Senate side when they had to and pushed their agenda forward. It's not clear that the Democrats will be able to do that. Secondly, what damage, what actual damage to the institutions will the Democratic administration or the Biden administration find out about and what will be leaked to the public after January 21st, uh, hardcore, direct, or just policy-wise. We're going to find out how much damage internationally and domestically uh, this Trump administration and what state it's left this country in and the agencies in. Scott Bolt, we got to leave it there. Got to leave it there, Scott Bolden. I'm not cutting you off because you're a Washington football team fan, I promise. Scott Bolden, Democratic strategist, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and attorney, John Sidalides. John, and happy holidays to, to you and the fam. Please tell them I said happy holidays. Geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors and diplomacy consultant at the State Department. John, thank you so much. Uh, coming up next, we check in with Congressman Fred Upton. You don't want to miss this interview. It's a conversation about what's next for economic relief. He's a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I just want to dive into my Bloomberg Terminal now to give an update on a vote that the House of Representatives is set to take up. 
The House is set to vote on $2,000 stimulus checks uh, that President Trump has demanded. And the bill needs Republican support for two-thirds majority to pass on Monday, later today. The increased payments are really seen as unlikely to clear the Republican Senate, but it does have implications for what President-elect Joe Biden can glean from this information. And here's what I mean by that. Let's read first from the Bloomberg Terminal, Eric Wasson and Laura Davison's reporting. The House is set to vote Monday to replace the $600 stimulus payments in the newly enacted pandemic relief law with the $2,000 President Donald Trump demanded. A Democratic-led effort that is politically fraught for congressional Republicans and unlikely to become law. The bill would need two-thirds support to clear the House under the procedure being used for the vote. And it remains unclear if Republicans will shelve their opposition to higher payments, partly driven by deficit concerns to support Trump's request. But, that's a great report from Eric Wasson and Laura Davison, but let's say there's a handful of Republicans in the Senate, people like Senator Susan Collins, let's say they take a position on this. What they will be doing is signaling to the incoming administration that if there is another round of economic stimulus relief, that they will be the ones to get on board with it, that they will be the Republicans who are willing to compromise with President-elect Joe Biden once he is sworn in to office. And that is a conversation that I want to take to our next guest. Well, actually, I want to pivot now because I'm told that we have former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers with us, or Mr. Chairman, rather. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll come back, folks, to the stimulus conversation. Uh, But we will talk about the other ongoing situation, which is the uh, cyber hack. And you had this great column, Mr. Chairman, uh, in the Wall Street Journal the other week. That I, and, I, and I said, we have to get him on. Uh, because when you served on the Intel Committee, and now you're at IronNet Cybersecurity, you have this headlined Wall Street Journal op-ed that says, the cyber threat is real and growing. The SolarWinds breach could be the most significant cyber incident in American history. Russian intelligence, likely the SVR, the foreign intelligence branch, infiltrated and sat undetected on U.S. government networks for nearly 10 months. What should change, Mike Rogers? How can we better protect our digital infrastructure? Well, first, for the government side, we we still do it in, in a disjointed way. So we, I think we need a forcing function at the federal government to coordinate a, a defense uh, that is coordinated. Uh, in fact, that all of these agencies, including the civilian agencies, uh, need to be better integrated when it comes to security. So what happens on the civilian side, so that's why I think you looked at uh, organizations like Treasury and others that weren't DOD-hardened or intelligence-hardened, and they, and they were able to move around in some of those networks from some period of time. It's because somebody used SolarWind. Nobody was doing the red teaming on it. If you use it, I'll use it. We'll keep going. No real coordinated effort to make sure that all of the supply chain is a coordinated uh, defense posture. And that's really what we're missing. So they spend their own money, they buy their own products. And I just, I think we're going to have to do a much better job on the cyber defense piece. And then again, start ramping up some offensive 
capability to make sure that our adversaries understand that we won't take it. Well, that's what I want to bring the conversation to, is is, is what should the U.S. response be? Because it, it oftentimes feels like we get these hacks and no one, there's no response from the U.S. Well, sometimes you won't see it, uh, and that's a good thing. We want to be able to do disruptive operations against um, you know, pretty hard targets. So either our, our you know, near-peer adversaries in cyber warfare, the Russians, the Chinese, um, others, uh, are going, you know, there are things that do happen uh, that allow them to understand that we're there. What we haven't really done is figured out policy of what is an appropriate offensive response to something like this. This is this is time infinitum. I remember debating this issue in classified spaces over 10 years ago now, and we were having a hard time coming to a conclusion then about what would constitute an offensive reaction. And I know they still have some problems today. What you don't want to do is escalate it to something that gets more kinetic or more serious in cyberspace. So there are some things that we have to consider. But we need a better coordinated effort. I I argue that we need a cyber director that is in the White House, that's part of the National Security uh, Council structure, that has the ability to bring these big personalities, and I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about agencies, into a room, kind of clunk their heads together, say, this is how we're going to spend our money, this is the kind of testing we're going to do to make sure we're okay, and oh, by the way, this is the kind of offensive activity we need to have to make sure that our adversaries understand that we will you know, there'll be consequences for your actions. Do you think that a Biden administration would be open to having a national cyber director? Well, I do. And if the NDA gets overridden, there's a provision in there, and I testified for this in the summer, that would create one. And I have to tell you, I am not for more government and laying more bureaucracy on. In fact, I opposed this bill when I was chairman. (laughs) Uh, to have the cyber director, but looking at, you know, the end of the Bush administration, uh, the Obama administration, then the Trump administration, and everybody says, well, no, we got it. And candidly, nobody has it. And because of the way it's bifurcated in the way we defend our networks across the government, I came to the conclusion we absolutely have to have a forcing function, and the only way to do that is have someone that sits above all of those agencies uh, and can have an impact both on their budgets and their policy. And so I agreed that was the right way to do it. It shouldn't be huge. It shouldn't be you know people with more you know you know shouldn't create more inboxes for the sake of creating inboxes. No, I agree. Uh, One thing twenty twenty yeah. taught us. Yes, well, exactly. Oh, completely. And, you know, the people, too many people have red cards, meaning a lot of people can say no, but very few people can say yes. Uh, people are a little nervous about making kind of decisions in cyberspace and other agencies that aren't defense and intelligence. So we, 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 we can fix that. We have the ability. Give that forcing function. Uh, as I said, don't create more inboxes. We don't want a department of redundancy department. Uh, but what we do need is uh, somebody that can clang heads and say, here's the kind of way we're marching out. Here's the standard you need to meet. And this is the, this is the dicey part. The, the National Security Agency is the best player on the field, bar none, in the world. We need to get them engaged in helping defend all of our government agencies um, in a way that's, I think, uh, more conducive to a better outcome in having better relationships with our private sector. You know, years ago when, when uh, Edward Snowden punched out and stole over a million documents and 
and ran off to Russia. Uh, people got nervous and said, oh, the NSA is bad. That was, I think, the wrong narrative, and we we're going to have to change that. How, do you want your information defended? Well, why would we put the best player on the sideline uh, during the biggest game, which is now? And no one, no one hears about all of the, the good things that those agencies do because – you know, you never you never hear about them. It's not it's not how they're designed. I have to leave it there. I have so many questions for you, Mike Rogers, <laughs> former Republican congressman from Michigan's eighth congressional district, and of course the former chairman of the House Intel Committee. Promise me you'll come back on because I want to talk to you about how the U.S. should deal with ge- the geopolitics on the issue of cyber, which is so important. And so please come back on and talk to us about that. Okay. I'd love to do it. Thanks. All right. I appreciate that very much. Thank you to uh, former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers, and he is now the director at IronNet Cybersecurity. Coming up, we're going to check in with Congressman Fred Upton. He's just voted on the House floor, and I am told he is standing by. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. We're talking all things economic stimulus and previewing the next Congress with the incoming Biden administration. We're thrilled to welcome back to the program Congressman Fred Upton. He is a Republican representing Michigan's 6th Congressional District. He is a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus, which of course was the driving force behind the economic fiscal stimulus relief bill, $900 billion worth of which uh, has has now been signed into law. Congressman, you've got this other movement now in the House of Rep. First of all, thanks for being here. But you got this other movement now in the House of Representatives about there being $2,000 stimulus checks. First of all, how are you going to vote for it? And does this thing have a light? Uh, to have a chance of, of daylight, I don't know. Does, it, does this thing have a shot? Yeah, well, um, I can answer all of those. Thank the you. vote is on right now. In fact, I have voted already. I voted in favor of it. But I, I'll tell you, you know, this, 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 uh, and and <laughs> the votes really in question is, as you may, as you do know, it, it has to pass is what we say uh, under suspension of the rules, which means no amendments, but it therefore doesn't pass by a majority, but it has to pass by a two-thirds vote. And right now it's failing that, which means it could be a long night here. We'll we'll see what happens. But but he, here's how this all worked out. Uh, the goalposts changed a bunch of times. Uh, I'm one of the vice chairs of the Pro- Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. We've really been meeting since J- June or July to try to get this next COVID package done. Uh, with, you know, leadership on both sides, the White House, the Senate, everybody and their sister and brother. And at the end, they said, okay, 
it's got to be $900 billion. Uh, it can't go over a trillion. You remember that Nancy Pelosi had a couple versions of over $3 trillion. Those were all dead on arrival in the Senate. They narrowly passed in the House. I, I voted against those. But at the end of the day, they said it had to be under a, a trillion dollars. So uh, we came up with what we thought was uh, a pretty good plan. They had money for PPP, had money for broadband. Uh, we had money for the states for unemployment, and folks are no longer going to get paid more not working than they did on the job because we reduced those uh, checks, those weekly checks from $600 to $300. Uh, we worked with our schools. We worked with testing and vaccines. I mean, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a big, big, big issue, and somehow it all worked. And we did stimulus checks at $600 per person. And all of a sudden, the president said, oh, I wanted it to be 2000 Well, 2000 obviously takes it way over the $900 billion cap that we had. Surprised us all. But Pelosi's pretty smart. She said, oh, the president wants $2,000. we will do that. And so she, with like a 48-hour notice, decided to bring this bill up to, to succumb to the president's request. And it ultimately will pass here in the House, uh, either under suspension or under a majority uh, vote. I'm not sure what the outcome will be in the Senate, uh, but the president said, you know, we, we need to do this for folks. And he was not directly involved in these discussions. Uh, Secretary Treasury Mnuchin was. Uh, and we all thought we had a handshake deal. The administration supported it. Leadership on both sides supported it when we passed it last week with 350-some votes here in the House. And, 92 votes in the Senate, yeah. but pre- President uh, held it at bay a little bit, and so this is this will be an add-on. Do they, so even, do even they, though it'll go here in the House, I'm not sure the Senate will take it up. Do they need, if the Senate does take it up, do they just need 50% plus, or do they no, need they, two-thirds? No, they to do oh, so it doesn't have a shot level. I mean, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. And it's how many? Yeah, and it still needs 60. The, the rules, they still, you know, it needs 60 or... Or unanimous consent, uh, they're not going to get that. So they would they would have well, to have sixty votes to even consider this bill on the Senate floor. Well, let me follow up with you here because you voted for for two thousand dollars stimulus checks. Does that mean that when President Elect Biden takes over, that you would still be in favor? And I and I'm not you know I'm I'm asking you, but also members like you who represent conservative constituencies like you that are a bit more moderate and centrist. Could the $2,000 check come about in February or March? So the answer is yes, it could come about. But, it, but again, it's going to be a, just like this was a package. You know, I had money for small business, had money for our hospitals and our health care providers, money for our schools. I mean, all these different things. There were a couple of big pieces that were not part of this. Uh, and and they were originally part of the $900 billion, but then when they fell out, then that's when the $600 stimulus check came back in uh, because that wasn't in the original proposal that we unveiled back in, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. But the things that weren't as part of this was money for state and locals. And no, we're not talking about bailing out pension systems that are, you know, are in trouble in states or localities. We're talking about actual COVID expenses or uh, actual revenue losses, you know, sales tax revenue loss or gas tax revenue loss. 
uh, an issue that we've worked really hard on and we failed just at the very end. I, I thought we were pretty darn close, and that was liability protections for small businesses. Uh, and uh, the, But the two were, in essence, tied together. We couldn't get the liabilities, so that's why the state and local monies uh, dropped out. But at the end, you know, there probably will be another COVID package, probably early spring, late winter. Uh, all of those will be on the table. It'll be part of a package. I don't think anything will go separately as a separate item. But frankly, we'll see where the economy is. We'll we'll find out, you know, did we really get the vaccine? Uh, did we really vaccinate 100 million Americans before the end of March? Uh, yeah. Are there glitches between now and then? Congress- you know, so they'll... They'll look at a whole number of factors, but this will be part of it, probably another stimulus check, assuming that the 2000 doesn't go through in the Senate. Congressman Mike Rogers is with us, Republican congressman representing Michigan's. uh, I'm sorry, Congressman Fred Upton. I'm staring at the rundown, Congressman Upton, literally staring at the rundown, and I looked at the wrong block. I I know who I'm interviewing, I promise you, of Michigan's 6th Congressional District. Well, I listen to Mike. (laughs) You know, we had two We we all listen to Mike. Yeah, yeah, we had two Mike Rogers, two Republican members of Congress at the same time, by the name of Mike Rogers, both Republican. We called the Mike Rogers from Michigan the good Mike Rogers. <laughs> 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 we had to distinguish between the two. That's hilarious. Uh, he was, he's a very good friend. And he was I just on. both are good friends. But, yeah. yeah, I know. I listened. I, I, I listened to him. Well, thank you. I listened to him anytime he talks. He's Congressman Fred Upton still with me. He is a Republican representing Michigan's 6th Congressional District uh, and a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus. I've got... Eh, 90 seconds left, but I did want to ask you this question. And next time you come back on, I, I do want to talk energy policy, especially if Biden uh, rejoins the Paris Climate Accords or, or tries to re-enter it or, and whatnot. I, I really want to pick your brain uh, on that, Congressman Upton. So please come back on the program and talk about that with me. What should Congress's New Year's resolution be? Oh, forget this year. <laughs> we, need, <laughs> we, need the, we need the problem solvers, uh, the caucus that I'm in. You know, it's It'll be fascinating to watch. You're, you're an insider. You'll see this. But the margin's going to be closer. We've got divided government. The only way things happen is if, if you uh, have Republicans and Democrats work together, which is why the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, had, a big, had a big role to play on this, on this yeah, uh, huge. COVID package now. And, and will be even larger in the next Congress. Our numbers are growing. It's, it's really re- – I can't stress this enough. I mean, it, it's really remarkable because it's the one group that has grown in clout in, in the post-2008 crisis world that could serve as a counter to groups like the House Freedom Caucus. Congressman Fred Upton, a Republican representing Michigan's 6th Congressional District, so incredibly grateful for your time, sir. Joining us literally right after he voted on the House floor, a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Appreciate his time, and he'll be back on. Uh, to talk about uh, his work on energy policy, which, of course, we want to hear him talk about as well. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.